You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. If I hadn't a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning as we continue a sermon series we've been in for a while now that's called Come and See, and the point of this series is to help you see what Jesus is like. And the reason why we're uh, giving attention to that is, one, because Jesus is awesome, and we want you to know that. But even more practically, it's because Jesus' invitation to all of us, regardless of where you've come from and what you've done in your life and where you are and all that kind of stuff, his invitation to all of us is to come and follow him. And to come and follow Jesus means to do something specific. In fact, it means to reorient your life and your days and your weeks around three goals. Hopefully, church family, you know those goals. Like this is getting really like, I think I've said this a million times, all right? Uh, But those goals are this. It's to actually be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and then to do what Jesus did. And so the decision to follow Jesus is a big decision. It's a decision to do those things. And so we say, okay, well, if you're going to make that decision to follow Jesus, you might need to know who it is that you're choosing to follow. And so we're doing this series. Who is this guy? What is he like? And so we're answering that question and we're really exploring what Jesus is like in two fun ways. We're during the week, our midtown communities, those are our small groups, are getting together and they're watching this TV show called The Chosen. And uh, for those of y'all who are doing that, are you enjoying it? Yeah? Yeah, it's really awesome, isn't it? And it's just a beautiful picture of Jesus. And so we're getting together, we're watching that, we're discussing that. And then during the week, the second thing we're doing is on Sunday mornings, we are teaching from the gospel accounts of Jesus' life in a way that ties into the past week's chosen episode, just again, to flesh out all the more what Jesus is like and This past week's episode was based out of the passage that Leanne just read from us, found in Mark chapter 2. And I just, man, I just love, I love that story. And the reason why is because I think this story really uh, powerfully captures the fact that Jesus came to restore or to heal all that is broken. He came to heal all that is broken. I want to flesh that out for us a little bit this morning so we can kind of wrap our mind around the the scope of Jesus' healing because I think it gives us a great insight into what he is like. So Mark chapter 1, if you're not familiar, Mark chapter 1 actually begins with a real emphasis on Jesus healing people. And so there's multiple stories in quick succession throughout Mark chapter 1 of him healing someone as demon-possessed and then healing lots and lots of people and then healing a leper. And as he's doing all of that within the uh, kind of village town of Capernaum. And so as the word starts spreading amongst this village, as Jesus keeps healing people, like everyone starts looking for Jesus. Everyone wants to be around Jesus. And so like his popularity is growing very, very quickly. And then Jesus does something near the end of Mark chapter one that kind of to the surprise of everybody, instead of sitting around and enjoying the fame as everyone's wanting to come and be with him, he actually heads out of town and he goes off to a place, solitary place to pray. In fact, let me just read that for you. Mark chapter one, verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while It was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, 
quick aside, but as I shared a couple weeks ago, one of the things we saw and what Jesus is like is that he lived at an unhurried pace. He always made time to spend time with his father, to spend time in prayer talking with God. And he, it doesn't matter how, much, how many demands he felt or how busy his schedule was, that was his priority. And which means, just like I said a couple weeks ago, that if we are to follow Jesus, we're going to do the same. Because this is what he did, so we're going to do that. We're going to make time to spend time with God. But anyways, just like parents, especially if you, you try to make time to spend time with God in the morning and then your kids wake up and they mess up that time, Jesus can feel that pain because that's what happened to him in Mark chapter 1. His disciples, he's like, got off solitary place to pray. His disciples come looking for him. They interrupt his time with God. This is what they say in verse 36. Simon at Simon Peter and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, hey, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, hey, let's go somewhere else. To nearby villages, so I can preach there also. And so I love this, like, it's wild, it's just completely opposite of what you would think someone would do when their fame is growing more and more. He, he says, no, 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 hey, let's get, let's get out of here. I don't care about this whole popularity thing. I want to start moving to different villages to pre- preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel. And so he does. He goes, he goes on, and for a few days, he leaves Capernaum, and he starts hitting all these other villages, but in the beginning of Mark chapter 2, we, we learn that a few days later, he returns to that village, to Capernaum. And when he shows up, everyone goes crazy. They come pouring in to find him because like, he disappeared, and then now he's back, and they're like, oh, we got to be around him. And it's similar to, like, in the picture in my head, is like when, when the Aggies beat Alabama and everyone just poured on to Kyle Field. Uh, sorry, that, that's probably what it was like. Everyone compared to just pouring out to see Jesus. I just wanted to bring up the fact that the Aggies beat Alabama. I, I don't think that that's getting enough talk. So I just just remind y'all that happened, and it was awesome. But anyways, that's what it was like in Capernaum. Everyone is just coming, pouring in to see Jesus when he returns back in town. And Mark tells us not only everyone's there, but also specifically there's this group of, of, of uh, a few guys and their paralyzed friend. That when they heard Jesus back... They headed to Jesus, but unfortunately, they got there a little bit late, probably because they were having to carry their paralyzed friend. And so when they show up, the place is packed and they can't get near Jesus. Mark chapter 2, verse, two puts it, or verse 4 says, uh, says it this way. Since they could not get to him, since they could not get him, their paralyzed friend to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. See, they were that committed to getting their friend in front of Jesus. They got creative and a wee bit destructive, right? And can, can you imagine what that would have been like? Like Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, like, debris from the roof starts raining down. And, like, everyone would have stopped, right? Like, what is going on? And they're just looking up. And then in, in this new hole in the roof comes this paralyzed man being lowered down and like you think, man, what in the world? So here's the question. Why would this paralyzed friends, the friends of this paralyzed man, go to so much trouble to get him in front of Jesus? Well, obviously, right, the answer is because they were really hopeful that Jesus would heal their friend, right? Which is why it's odd that Jesus responds the way he does, right? 
Because this is what he says in the next verse, verse verse 5, that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, uh, not, son, get up and walk. No, instead he says, son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) Now, can you put yourself in the shoes of this guy, right? Um, Like, you're thinking, uh, thanks? I guess. (laughs) I get. I guess. I don't. I don't know. Jesus, like, I, have you noticed my legs? Right. Like, I, I, this. You know. Uh, thanks for the forgiveness, but I'm not real sure that's what I'm here for. I was really hoping that you could, you know, heal me. That's that's clearly what everyone was expecting. Everyone was thinking that Jesus would do. Uh, why in the world instead does Jesus instead say, "Son, your sins are forgiven." This week, my, uh, my son, Camp, has uh, had a really bad earache all week long, and he never gets those. And so, like, early on the week, like Monday, he tells us, me and Krista, that his ear's hurting, and uh, we just, it was, it was weird. We just figured, well, he must have just got something in it, irritated. We were at the beach last week on vacation, so maybe he's got something from the beach. Like, it's just, you know, nothing big. So we got some stuff just to clean it, clean it out a little bit, and he said he felt better after that, so we're like, High-fiving ourselves, we figured it out. And uh, he sent him to bed that night. Well, in the middle of the night, he wakes up, and he, he uh, is really hurt, and he comes and wakes uh, Krista up. Um, not, not dad of the year moment for me. I, I slept all the way through all of this. But he gets, he gets Krista up, and then uh, he's really hurting. So Krista calls the teledoc, calls in, gets, get a, gets a prescription called in for you know, the earache, and then the next day we pick up the prescription. We start treating, her with, treating him with that. And... and uh, Two days go by, and it's only getting worse. And now the poor guy, I mean, he's really in pain, and he's missed school multiple days, and nothing's getting better. And so we finally take him to his pediatrician, and this doctor's a great doctor. He looks at uh, camp and just realizes, like, oh, yeah, I see what's going on. He needs a different kind of medicine, and he gets us what he needs, and all is good. And he's camp starting to feel much better now, praise be to God. The... Um, Friends, that's what, uh, that's what great doctors or great physicians do. They're able to clearly diagnose the root issue and do something about it. And that's why Jesus says to this man, son, your sins are forgiven. Because uh, Jesus is the great physician. And being the great physician, he's able to diagnose the root issue, the issue that causes all of the other unhealth. And he addresses that. See, um, according to the biblical worldview, the ultimate reason people suffer physically, emotionally, and relationally is because of sin. Before sin entered the picture in Genesis 3, everything was right. Everything was as it was meant to be. That people were physically whole, emotionally healthy, and relationally at peace with God and with one another. But when sin came as a result of mankind, humankind turning away from God and going their own way, every form of brokenness entered into the story. For sin ruptured humankind's relationship with God, who is the source of life and joy and love and health, or shalom. 
And it also, sin also ruptured our relationship with one another and all of creation, all of the physical world. And so Jesus, the great physician, knows that in order for everything to be set right and everything to be made healthy and whole, once again, sin must first be dealt with. And so he looks at this man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Listen, (laughs) Jesus doesn't stop with that. Like as you heard Leanne read, and he's familiar with this passage, Jesus, after doing that, does go on to heal the man's legs, right? So that he stands up and he walks out. I mean, this is an amazing thing. And I think that that is significant for us to all recognize. That Jesus begins by healing this man, forgiving his soul, healing his soul by forgiving his sins, not as an end in itself, but as a means to a much greater end. See, Jesus, as important as it is for him to heal us of our sins, to forgive our sins, he's not just about that. He's about that so that he could bring what he's truly about, full restoration, full healing, wholeness. So Jesus is uh, he's after so much more than we often recognize or give him credit for. And in the church today, it's normal for us to just think about, well, what did Jesus do for me? Well, he, he died on the cross to save me from my sins. And that is a completely true statement and a very significant <laughs> statement. But it's, it's short, falls short of the full picture See, he died on the cross to save us from our sins in order to reconcile us to God and bring things back to where they were meant to be and actually to make things better than they ever were, to bring full and holistic healing, wholeness, health. See, that's how the biblical story ends. You go to Revelation 21, And we're told that uh, God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth, a new physical creation where everything is right. And God comes to dwell with us. And in that passage, we're told these famous, beautiful words. Verse 4 says, um, He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, or by that time, the old order of things will have passed away. See, guys, what happens this day in Mark chapter 2 is a foretaste. It's a glimpse of that day. That Jesus uh, doesn't just forgive this man's sins, but he also heals the man's legs. It's a picture of the complete health and total restoration that he came to bring. Because that's what he came to do. And that's what he wants to do in your life as well. That he cares about all of the broken and all of the unhealthy parts of you. He cares about your physical well-being. He cares deeply about your emotional and mental health. He cares about your broken and strained relationships. He wants to see every part of you and every part of this world restored. And being the great physician, he knows 
the root issue that must be addressed in order for that to happen. And so he begins by bringing restoration by first dealing with our sin, enabling us to be restored back to a right and peace-filled relationship with God. So he begins there with, son, your sins are forgiven because it's from that place all other healing flows from. That's what Jesus came to do because that's what he's like. Now, this caused a problem, caused a little bit of a stir. Because uh, the idea that Jesus could offer that kind of soul healing, you know, the forgiveness of our sins, that just sounded blasphemous to the religious leaders in the crowd. And look back at the passage in verse 6. Uh, it says this, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Like, who can forgive sins but God alone? And friends, they are completely right in this reasoning, this, this you know, line of thought. For only God can forgive sins. For only the one, the only one who has the right to forgive an offense is the one who has been offended, Right? I mean, for example, like if I, let's say that Krista and I, my wife and I are in an argument and I say something really mean, unkind, you know, hurtful to her. Oh, shame on me. I, I'm mad at hypothetical me right now for doing that. She deserves so much better. But let's say I do that. And for, for the sake of this uh, illustration, Let's say for some reason you're there when I do that, okay? I don't know why you're there, but you're there. And so I do this in front of you, and you see me say this mean thing to Krista, and you're like, you know, you're like, you just say, yeah, Jake, how dare you? What do you say? Like, that is so wrong. Can't, how can you be that mean? But it's okay. I forgive you. I forgive you for what you just said to Krista. What do you think Chris is going to do if you were to say that to me? Now she's mad at both of us, right? Because now she's like, wait, who do you think you are? You can't forgive Jake for the mean thing he said to me. I'm the only one that can forgive him for what he said to me. And I may or may not do that, right? But like, I'm the, I'm the one who has the right to make that decision, right? Because the only person that can forgive you for doing something is the one that you did that thing to, you can only forgive a sin if it's against you. Well, that's why when Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders think he's blaspheming. For Jesus is making the claim that this man's sins had ultimately been against him. And the only way that would be true is if Jesus was this man's creator. See, the religious leaders got that. They understood that Jesus wasn't claiming to be just a miracle worker. He was claiming to be the Lord of the universe, which was blasphemy, and they were understandably furious about it. Now, um, let, me, let me just pause with, this, with the story here and, and just point out something I think is you know, really important. And that is, um, I think this passage serves as a great example of C.S. Lewis's argument concerning the identity of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the great theologian, he makes the point that though uh, many people view Jesus as simply being a, a good example, Jesus actually didn't leave that as an option. 
for a good example, it doesn't go around claiming the ability to forgive people's sins. That would be a bad example. And that he would, if he did that then, then as Lewis reasons, Jesus couldn't be a good example. He would either have to be, to use his words, a liar or a lunatic or the Lord Almighty. And I think that you, just like everyone that was there that day in that crowd, you, you have to come to a decision on where you land on that issue. Who is Jesus? Is he a liar saying that he's someone that he's not? Is he a lunatic? He's just crazy. He thinks he is, but he's not. Or is he the Lord of the universe and he really does have the ability, the power to heal your sins, to forgive your sins? If, if you don't know where you land on that, on that topic, then I just, I just would really want to encourage you to give thought to it. I think it's the most, literally the most important thing you could actually give your time to. And, and we w- would love, of course, to help you with that at Midtown Church. We, you know, people here and me personally, I'd love to share kind of my process of how I explored that and why I landed where I did. Because all of us who have followed Christ, we have gone through that. And so, you know, you, that, I think that might be helpful for you just to hear how we process that. And so let us help you if you would like that. But friends, with us or without us, I still would really encourage you to give time to that. Because you need to know, like, who is Jesus? Now, the religious leaders in Mark 2, they thought that they knew. They thought that they had it all figured out uh, because, you know, they just, in their mind, there's no way that Jesus is God. And so they're filled with anger and they're filled with questions, and Jesus knew that. So look what he says in verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? And then Jesus goes on to ask them a very key question. He asks them, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. Now, I believe, and it's not here in the passage, but I believe that the the religious leaders had had an opportunity to answer that question, what is easier to do this or that. I think that they would have clearly said, well, it's much harder. It's much harder to say, uh, get up and pick up your mat and walk. Because in their mind, they would have reasoned that if Jesus said that, then he would be, Jesus would be outed as the blasphemous fraud. Because there's no way that if Jesus said that, there's no way that this guy is actually going to get up and take up his mat and walk. And so they would say, well, everyone would see that you're, you know, you're a liar if you say that. We can't tell if you actually forgave the guy of his sins, but we can tell if you did this tangible thing. So that's what's harder to say. You say that, you're shown to be a fraud. Jesus, I think knowing that's the, their thinking, goes on. He says this. Oh, but I want you to know, verse 10, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this understatement here uh, amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay. Now, that healing is absolutely incredible. 
But I want you to notice that Jesus says he did that healing not to prove that he had the authority or power to heal the man's legs, but so everyone would know that he has the authority or power to forgive sins and thus heal our souls. So he wanted everyone to know and to see that he has the power to heal the root issue that leads to all other brokenness. But Jesus, if you go back to the question, what is easier? Jesus knew that it was actually a lot easier to say, hey, get up, pick up your mat and walk, than it would be for, and have the person actually do that, than it would be for Jesus to say, son, your sins are forgiven, and have that actually happen. So Jesus knew that in order to bring that level of full health, full restoration, it would require him going to the cross. For the only way Jesus could forgive our sins is if he chose to pay for them himself. The only way he could truly heal us is if he would die in our place. And amazingly, that's exactly what he did just as Isaiah 53 prophesied that he would. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says this, He, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. What's easier? Say, Son, pick up your mat and walk, and that happen. Or to say, son, your sins are forgiven, and have that happen. Much harder for Jesus, because it would require the cross in order to forgive this man's sins and to forgive all of ours as well. But Jesus is so committed to bringing full reconciliation, full health, full restoration, that he willingly said, son, your sins are forgiven, and he willingly endured the cross. In fact, again, quoted it last week, to quote it again, Hebrews 12, chapter 2, I mean, 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's what Jesus is like. Uh, in April of 2019, a doctor named Melanie Altizer captured headlines for going way beyond expectations of a doctor to help treat someone suffering from kidney disease. Uh, see, uh, her office manager and friend was sick in the need of a kidney transplant. And so Dr. Altizer offered to donate one of her kidneys. And after the surgery and transplant went perfectly, Dr. Altizer was asked about her sacrificial service in the local newspaper. And uh, she responded in this way. She said, you know, I don't really look at it in terms of sacrifice. I think in a different way. It benefits me just as much because I can't think of anything more powerful or meaningful than to be able to give someone the gift of life. Friends, Dr. Altizer saving the life of her, uh, of her friend at, expense, at her own expense, but with great joy gives us just a beautiful glimpse into the heart of our Savior, Jesus. 
For he gave his entire life. He died to secure our healing. Like, can you, can you see how amazing he is? Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He was and he is our healing Savior. John Mark Comer in his uh, book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, makes this observation. He says, the Greek word in the New Testament that we translate salvation is soteria. And it's the same word we translate healing. When you're reading the New Testament, you read that somebody was healed by Jesus, and then you read somebody else was saved by Jesus, you're reading the same Greek word. Salvation is healing. Even the etymology of our English word salvation comes from the Latin salve. As in an ointment, you put on a burn or a wound. This is what Jesus was all about. Healing people, saving them at a soul deep level. Friends, that's what Jesus came to do because this is what he is like. He's the great physician, the healing savior. Now, I I wish that we all could have been there on that day, right? When he says to this guy, get up, you know, take up your mat and walk. I mean, it would have been absolutely amazing to see that. But thankfully, we have the show The Chosen to give us a glimpse of it. And so try to help all this kind of come together and stick with you. I want you to watch this scene, all right? I saw what you did to the leopard on the road this morning. My friend has been paralyzed since childhood. He has no hope but you. Please, do for him what you did for the leopard. That's a rope! Put it back, man! You are willing, Rabbi. I know you can do this. authority do you teach? Answer me. If you are willing, Rabbi, you know you can. Hey, I'm talking to you. By whom do you teach? Certainly not the authority of any rabbi from Nazareth. Where did you study? Your faith is beautiful. Son, take heart. 
Your sins are forgiven. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? But I ask you, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or rise up and walk. It's easy to say anything, no? But to show you. And so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, my son, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. been amazing to see that man stand for the first time, right? No wonder everyone was completely amazed. My friends, that, that was Jesus giving a glimpse, a foretaste of what he came to do. Healing our sins to bring full restoration. And though we weren't there to see that man stand, here's what is completely true and really even more amazing. It's that because of the cross of Jesus, all who come to Jesus for healing will one day literally stand in the presence of Jesus. That in the love of Christ, we will stand. And he he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have completely passed away. And so friends, my encouragement to all of you in light of this, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's like, in light of 
what he's done, my call to you is to come to him. It's to come to him. That if you have never come to him for the forgiveness of your sins, for him to heal you, to say to you, son or daughter, your sins are forgiven, my encouragement to you is to come to him even as you are right now. Just pray between you and him. He, he can hear you. He is God. And you just tell him, Jesus, I need you to heal me. I recognize that. I need you to forgive my sin. And I believe that you did when you went to the cross. And you paid for my sin. And I believe you secured that for me forever when you rose from the grave. And so I'm trusting you to be my healing Savior. Friends, tell him that, even right now. And he promises that his healing work in you will begin in that moment. And he will heal your relation with God. You'll be reconciled to God. And he will begin to heal you completely. And that will be completely finished on the day that we stand before him which you will because of what he did for you. If you have never put your faith in him, I would encourage you to do that right now. Come to him. This is who he is. He's amazing. For those of you here that have already put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you trust him as your savior, my encouragement to all of you is to still come to him. Come to him to follow him. Take him up on his invitation to be his disciple, to be his apprentice, that you would start to be with him and become like him and do what he did, that he could begin to live his life out through you, that you would begin to experience the life that he has on offer, what he called life and life to the full, eternal life, abundant life, holistic, whole life. That's found as we because faith in him, reconciled to him, and then we experience it even right now in this life as we practice the ways of Jesus. We follow him, abiding in him that he would produce his life in us. And so my call to you is his call to you. Come and follow him. Come and follow him in light of who he is and what he's done. And then finally, uh, my encouragement to all of you Midtown Church. That in light of who Jesus is, what he's like, and the healing that's found in him. So let's be like the paralytics, friends. And let's get creative and let's do whatever it takes to help bring our friends to Jesus. For he is the only one who can truly heal. We've got two more weeks of this series, two more weeks of watching this show, two more weeks of talking about what Jesus is like. That's, I'd encourage you, identify God, just ask God, is there someone that you would have me invite that I could be a partner with you in helping bring them to Jesus? Give that some thought, give that some prayer, friends. But let's come to him. He's amazing. He's the great physician. He is our healing Savior. He's the one who secured restoration. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. 
If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.